0: It's sure good to see all of you this morning, and a beautiful winter morning, right? And uh, we just believe the Lord's going to melt it all this week for all those He favors, <laughs> <All> right? <laughs> uh, we're we're in a series. Uh, one, Pastor Olivier mentioned the uh, the study, and just to clarify um I believe God said we're going to do this in five years but the study and what you're being called if you got an invitation or a letter in the mail to call or to respond is really not asking you to give money it's going to ask you questions about what we're doing in this process and so when you don't respond to it you make it very difficult for them you were you are someone who's uh, been a giver a part of Bethel's Rock and what your response we we have some questions we want to see what you're thinking we want to hear from you and it's very important and I know it's another thing to do during this time of the year but it will certainly bless uh, your church and uh and we live in a time where we we really tried to eliminate our commitments have you noticed uh it, it just we live in a time where we want the least amount of commitments possible so that we can just go and lay low and and i and i just don't believe god's calling us to lay low i think god is calling us to step high and to be a part of the work he has and as believers in christ we need to do that amen And so this is just a small way that you can be a part of doing that here at Bethel's Rock, and we encourage you to do that. Now, we're in a series called uh, Christmas Reminders, and uh, I want to talk today about back to the truth. And uh, most people think that we live by a code of conduct. Uh, of some kind uh in whatever nation that you're in there is a simple sense of code of conduct and and really what it is is a set of universal ought to's which we hold ourselves to sometimes right we know i ought to do that you know somebody has a baby i ought to take a meal to them or they're sick i ought to do that we see someone in the ditch and i ought to stop to pull them out we we see something we say we ought to There, like there's a simple code of universal code of conduct that we all kind of kind of know that yeah you know maybe i should stop and do that type of thing and then we decide whether we're going to do it or not and we we hold ourselves to that but there's also a set of universal ought to's which we always hold others accountable to now now I know I just got in someone's wheelhouse right there in someone's chicken coop because nobody said amen. It is pretty amazing how we love to hold people accountable to the ought to's that we sometimes do you know I ought to help them and uh, and then and then when people don't do it for us we're like I can't believe any of them did not do it for us I always do that for us. you know what I've noticed is our always aren't always always and our nevers are never never I always help people whenever they need it I'm always going but nobody comes to me that my friend is a lie Satan just put in your mouth because you don't always and you don't never. Right? If you stop and you, and, and you say, Holy Spirit, judge that attitude. If you've said that, I always do this for people. I'm always helping people. I'm always. And they never do it. To, if you need to stop right there and ask the Holy Spirit to judge those words. Because those words are a lie and deception of the enemy. And you hear them all the time. I'm hurt. Why are you hurt? Because I always. And they never. Am I right? Somebody should turn to someone, and go, he's right. He's, he's right right now. That's that's the truth. Right? If you're married, you need to tell your spouse that's right, that's the truth. Right? We can't stop holding, we can't stop holding others accountable to the external standard we sometimes ignore ourselves. That's when I always say. Our sins are never as bad as everyone else's. You know, the enemy, Satan, if you're offended and you're hurt, you're right where Satan wanted you. You receive the gift of Satan if you're hurt and offended. You received it. Because you get to choose whether you're going to be offended. You get to choose whether someone's going to hurt you. Because you have the power of God's favor, His unmerited favor, grace and love working. There is a Holy Spirit living in you. Greater is He in me than the hurt that's trying to be imposed on me, than the offense that's trying to be imposed on me. At what point do we start acting like Spirit-filled believers? Instead of victims. And, And if you think this Well, how does this fit into Christmas? It fits in Christmas. We live in a world where we refuse to believe that everyone is perfect, but they better not mess up. All right? The, we don't believe anyone is perfect around us. Look around. You don't see a single perfect person around you, but your expectation is that they better live up to it. And if they, for, for some reason, happen to fail or make a mistake, we are right there with our guns ablazing, either canceling them or shooting them down. Because we've somehow forgotten that I myself am he or she. what kind of place and 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 friend there's a reason i'm bringing us to this place because when jesus came he says it is good news but but how is that attitude how is that mindset good news could it be that the gospel we're preaching is not the same gospel he preached it isn't the same gospel. The gospel that is being preached even in our churches today is not is a, is a brand of humanism and not a divine message from the Creator Himself. You know, we have buzzwords that we see now and, and here's one of them. It's incredible. Deconstruction of our faith. How many have heard the word? There are so many people now that have been hurt and they've been, that they're deconstructing our faith. Let me, let me tell you, it's because they built their faith upon an individual personality or a system or a religious organization rather than building their faith upon the rock of Jesus Christ, upon the word of God. And when it's built on something like sand, when the storms come, it's going to collapse, I promise you, it's going to collapse. And when it collapses, you're going to have to deconstruct everything you thought you were building that was right, only to discover you built on the wrong foundation. You hear hear people say, I'm deconstructing my faith. It's not saying they're denying God, although believers are right there to attack them, saying you're denying it. What they're trying to do is figure out what this is all about. And there's some in this room should deconstruct their faith. Because you've built it on things that will not last through storms. And you need to reconstruct your faith upon the rock of jesus christ and him alone the bible says there will be no other gods before me do you really believe that god is going to allow people who proclaim to be his children to continue to serve gods not if he loves you He's going to expose those gods for what they are and they will be destroyed. So is the message of God, is the message of God and Jesus good news to those around us? Is it good news? Is what we're preaching to the world around us good news? Or is it news of condemnation? You said, Pastor, you talked about this last week. I did talk about this last week and I'm going to talk about it next week. Because at some point, It really needs to sink in where we don't go back to the default of religion and we start to understand that what comes out of our mouth as the gospel needs to be the good news of the gospel not what we grew up on maybe or what we heard of the past but what Jesus preached as good news you know the angels came and um they proclaimed good news great joy for all people last week i i I shared and took time to share this so i'm not going to spend a lot of time this week that when there's good news you lean in you want it to be true whether it's true or not when you hear good news you want it to be good news right when I, and I, and I said sugar, uh, it, it, they found that sugar uh, increases your life expectancy. You're like, that doesn't feel like it's good news, but I want to hear more. Yeah, right. right? Like, like, I'm going to lean into that because Uh, even though it may not be true, or you get a a phone call and someone says, you had a long lost uncle and he left you a million dollars. All you got to do is give me your bank account number. And you're like, boy, it feels a lot like a scam, but I'm going to lean in and at least figure out if it's true or not because it's a million dollars, right? But if it is bad news, you tend to lean away. You don't want it to be true. Well, let me ask you, When you preach the gospel, when you preach the gospel, do people lean in or do they lean away? When you're sharing the good news, is it so good to the person you're talking to? Because it's interesting, it says it's good news of great joy, and this is the important part for all people and in the Greek all means all it means everyone and we sit there and we say well God's separating the wheat from the tares because we have because we're ignorant of God's heart God loves every single person and yet you hear too many Christians make this statement there's a special place in hell for those people that is someone who doesn't even know God. They know religion. They know I need to live by behaviors. But they don't live by God. And they live in a fl- place. And this is, this is quite honestly the, the, the greatest deception of religion is that when, when you hear of how you're supposed to behave and act, you think you're supposed to be the one that's the source to do that, rather than to look to God as the source in your life. It is the difference between following Christ and humanism. You being the source or He's the source. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Spirit. Not the fruit of james bifford how many have ever said i i say god i i'm just work i'm going to work on being patient today then you won't be patient because it ain't the fruit of you it's the fruit of him in you 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 don't need to work on anything you need to pursue him and he will change you is this good news or what But what we go out there and we're out there preaching a gospel that you need to behave a certain way, it ain't good news. There are a number of people, if they could have changed, they would have changed right now. So the good news is relative to who, in most cases, I think we'd agree that what's good news to some people is terrible news to other people. Right? When, when somebody hears it's good news, that means there's probably others in our culture that thinks it's not good news because it doesn't benefit them. So the question I have for us is if the good news is truly good news for all people, why is there such resistance? Why is there so many people resisting Christ? If it's good news... Why, why is it, I, I wondered, even when I, when I talked to the, the superintendent of the school over here, I said, you know, why is it that they did eliminate the Bible? On what merits did they eliminate the Bible out of the libraries? What was the merit of that? And as absurd as it is, well, we, we just don't, we don't want to have religion in the library. I mean, but it's in, even in your textbooks. You talk about re- world religions in the textbooks. Why would you remove the oldest book in the history of the universe from your libraries? Is it evil? Well, no. Then what was the thinking behind it? Does it cause the, the absurdity of removing it out? I, unless you're afraid that it's different than every other book in the world. If it's, diff- if it's just like any other book in the world, why would you remove it? Do you see the lack of logic even in it? Right? Right? And it's good news. And when you go and talk about somebody, they say, well, we can't say Christ in Christmas. It's Xmas. We got to take Christ. What was it about Christ that was such bad news? What was it about his life that was so dangerous? You see, the question you have to ask yourself is is this whole thing about Jesus dangerous for culture? Is it bad for people? Or, or is how we're communicating what Christ came to do in a manner, how we communicate it is in a manner that really is not good news for people? Has the church preached messages that have nothing to do with the gospel and said it came from the mouth of Christ? Have we attacked people when Jesus sent the angels to the shepherds, who were not considered to be the echelon of the religious culture of that time. Many of them probably were drunk as skunks when the angels popped through the air and said, hello, I got good news, great joy. Oh, I bet it was great joy. For you. And we come at people and we attack people because they're not behaving the way they should, even though in the closets we're not either. right? It is good news, not good news to attack, to condemn or to cancel, but to good news to go and to lift them up and pick them up and clean them off and say, "Come, hear what Christ has done." For you, the difference between the original version and the current version of this thing of the gospel is that in the current version, it is not good news for everyone. It's great news for if you're in here. It's probably good news for most people in here. Praise God through whom all blessings flow. What about the ones who aren't blessings flowing in? What about the people who are sitting out there that, that we've turned this into a club and told ourselves it's in a club? But we haven't preached the good news to anyone. If, and, and, I, and I think last week, which, which is interesting, which is just amazing, I, I said last week, I said if Chick-fil-A was giving free meals out to everyone that showed up on Wednesday at noon, and they're not. But if they were you would go and tell everybody you loved and care about you need to go to chick-fil-a at noon free meals for everybody shows up and that's a chicken sandwich this redeems their life forever but we don't want to tell them bad news we want to tell them good news where it starts that the root of this where the root of this starts is in our heart do we believe it's good news We don't truthfully believe it's good news to everybody. It's why the person who gives their life to Christ in the beginning, they tell everyone they know because they experience good news and they believe everyone's got to hear it because it's incredible news. Somewhere along the line, we think it's bad news. And we start preaching religion instead of relationship with Christ. Look at this. The the gospel actually means good news. It's what it was called when they needed a name for what Jesus had started. They said, "You know what? Um, good news. We'll, we'll just call it." Have you heard the good news? Have you heard the good news? Have you heard the good news? Yes, have. Amen. Yes, have. Well, have you heard the good news? Yes, yes, but we'll sit in church. With the sense of obligation rather than with the sense that we are, we are carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and it's what I had said that, yeah, would we die for Christ? Would we die if we had to choose between Christ or denying Christ? Would, would we do that? And I don't think any of us didn't know whether we would or not. You know, Peter thought he would and he didn't and then he did. But there are people dying not just for Christ. They're dying for the good news. Their their families are sacrificing for the good news. Because it is incredible news. That has brought them great joy. And they believe it's for everyone. Even the worst of the worst. Even the one. Look at at what Luke says. It says the law and the prophets were proclaimed. What does it say there? Until John. so. Until John it was the law and the prophets. And then something shifted. There was a change. It says, since that time, the good news or the gospel of the kingdom of God is being preached. You know why most of us don't preach the kingdom of God? Is we have no idea what the kingdom of God is. We've never we've never sat down to actually experience what the kingdom of god is and the kingdom of god means literally the king's dominion whose dominion god's dominion and and what does that kingdom look like it is a kingdom of joy it is a kingdom of love incredible love it's a kingdom of peace and when you step into that kingdom you reside in a place where you feel love and peace and and something occurred to me while I was laying in bed this morning and I was just laying there praying over this message and and it's incredible to me how many of us would 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 sit there and say God I want to know the kingdom, how many want to experience the kingdom of God? Well, then it's going to take the sense of pursuing that. Seek ye first. What are you seeking? Not how to fix your problems. He doesn't say seek patience, he doesn't see, seek uh, long suffering, he doesn't seek all those things. He says seek the kingdom of God, everything else will be added to you but you seek the kingdom of God everything else will be added to you added to you you're not adding it he'll add it to you you seek the kingdom of God you seek that love you seek that peace and the joy that he has for you and it it occurred to me even when we went through this pandemic the incredible fear that believers have had of dying And the reason we're afraid of dying is because we have not tasted and seen that God is good. That death no longer has a sting over me. That I don't die just to this world, but I live as Christ. Like I'm going to reside in the kingdom of God. If I'm not residing in it on earth, I have no idea what's in store for me beyond earth. I don't live in the love of God. I'm living in the fear of man and in the fear of the enemy. I live when I am living in the kingdom of God. I am living in the peace of God. I am living in the joy of God. I am living in the love of God. And when I'm living in that, then what comes out of my mouth? will be love. And what comes out of my mouth will be peace and joy. And when I preach that into the lives of people, they will be drawn unto you. Because that's what the good news was. Those shepherds were discouraged. and They weren't drinking just to drink. There weren't people who weren't suffering just to suffer. They had no hope. Until hope broke through the sky that day and the angel said we got some good news and it's going to give you some great joy and it is for everyone no matter who you are, no matter what class you are, no matter where you came from, what family background you came from, no matter what religion you came from, it's for you. Taste and see that God is good. And look at this. Go back to that verse Go back to that verse. It says, since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. And everyone is leaning in. Everyone is forcing their way into it. Everyone. It is more than just words. The good news is more than just telling people there's peace. It's releasing peace. It's more than just telling people they can have joy. It is releasing joy into the lives of people around you. It is more than talking about God's love. It's showing my love to a lost world, to people who need God to do something in their life. Everyone, look at this, everyone is forcing their way into the kingdom of God. Everyone is forcing their way. And you don't even have to believe it is true, but you should, when hearing it, think it's some incredible news. They should say, wow, that's incredible news. What you just said is incredible. I don't believe it's true, but if it was true, that would be good news and would give me great joy. If what I'm preaching divides and separates... And maybe it's not the good news. For all people, every class, it's the great leveling thing. Jesus reminds us, Jesus reminds us this, that we are not as good as we think we are. Right, I think we sit in a church and we just think we're wonderful and we sit around all these people and we, we pack away all of those ought to's that we never do and, and, and we plaque them in the closet and we celebrate one another and we do all of that but we, we, we think in many ways oh yeah they're broken, they're lost and we literally condemn the lost. God did not create you to condemn the world, but that the world through you might be saved. You say, no, 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 pastor, pastor, you must, you must have lost a few screws. Because it actually says that the world through Christ might be saved. Yeah, Jesus said, I am the way. Yes, that's right. I am the truth and I am the life. How many would say amen? I know that scripture. I did that in Bible quizzing. I know it well. Aren't you to be like Christ? Then he's called you to be the way, the truth, and the life in the flesh. He said, in the same way that I did all these things in greater measure, you're going to see it. You can either become the way in people's lives, and you can stand up and say, God, I will stand on your behalf and preach the good news as you did I am not going to condemn the world, but I am going to preach the good news to the world. Listen, when I was, um, you, have you ever flown in a plane? Right? And, and, and I usually fly southwest because it's the cheapest. But you ever go on the plane where you got to walk by first class? Right? And they let everybody on the plane, and they sit in their big, cushy, lazy boy chairs... And then you go to the, the next class, which is a little smaller, but a little more space and a little more weight. How many know? And then, and then I end up in the little coach things where you're kind of like, and if you have anyone who's like 20 pounds more than their normal weight, they're in your seat, right? How many know what I'm talking about? And you're in those seats. How many in the coach? right? I'm in the non-refundable coach because that, that's, that's where I'm going. So I'm at the back of the plane, friend, back of the plane. And, and, uh, and you get on there and you walk by them and all these guys are already drinking their little drinks and they're doing it in the first class and acting all special and everything as you go to the back of the plane, right? And, and uh, why I like Southwest is we all in there together. I mean, there was one time, if you know golf, Bernhard Bernhard Longer was in the line with me, behind me. And he's a pro golfer, pretty famous one actually. And he's behind, I turn around and there's Bernhard. I love Southwest because he doesn't get on before me. We're all in this together, right? There is a leveling that goes on, right? Until I rode first class. And I got to ride first class, I didn't mind all the attention. (laughs) But but why I fly southwest is because I like that everybody gets to choose a seat. Nobody's so, and you know what? When Jesus came to earth, he said, ain't none of you that special. You, you all in this together. You are all a creation of God's hands. Look at Luke 5.1. Look at it. It says this. One day as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Which I think is interesting uh, because... There was no Bible. So we think Jesus was preaching the Bible or he was preaching. No. In the beginning was the word. They were listening to Jesus and later the disciples, this was written after the fact, later they looked back and said, oh my goodness, he was the word of God. Everything that came out of his mouth was the word of God. So when Jesus preached... It was the Word of God. It was just like, you know, it, it, it would have been nice if there was a teleprinter. And he was just printing it out because everything coming out of his mouth was life-giving. Because he is the Word of God. And he's preaching. And after the resurrection, they realized that it was Word. Look it goes on in verse 2. It says this. We saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen, were washing their nets. So they had fished all night. How it works was they fished at night because the fish come to the surface. It's cooler at night. They would come up. They would take their nets. They would fish them out of the Sea of Galilee. And it's not really a sea. It's more like a lake. If you've been there, you, you, you would know. It's, it's, it's smaller than some Minnesota lakes. And uh, they would fish at night. And in the morning, they would come back after their catch, and they would clean their nets, pull all of the... Coke cans and Pepsi and all that stuff out of their nets and and then they roll them up and they put them away And while they were cleaning their nets and rolling them up Jesus happened to be on the shore and he's preaching the Word of God And they're probably listening while they're doing all of this as they work along and and then uh, Jesus comes over to them and he got into uh, he gets in, got into one of the boats and uh, the one belonging to Simon asked them to put out into a little a little from shore. So here they're cleaning their nets and Jesus comes over, whom, by the way, they may have heard of but did not know. This, this wasn't like something that they were, they, there was no, and they would have gotten into the boat, and he, and he would have said to them, this is what he said. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. The people were probably starting to crowd in, and in order to keep his distance, uh, he, so that he could see everyone from being crushed, he gets in the boat, he said it's kind of like a little platform, we'll just kind of go out and we'll, and we'll do that, there was a nice sound system on it and, and some lights and some smoke that he probably put out, you know, natural fog, and, and when he had finished speaking he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. To which I think... Um, it that would be like me coming into some of your jobs and telling you to do something that you know that's just not how you do it. Right? It'd be like me going to Tim and telling him how to do the electrical work. Right? And him going just kind of chuckling like Tim would, thinking, You're a preacher, why don't you just stick doing that? Like, and I and I think Simon's probably looking at Jesus going, you're a rabbi, why don't you keep rabbi and I'll do the fishing here, right? But because he was such an incredible preacher and he was speaking and what he said was so powerful, Simon does what he requests even though it makes no sense at all to him. Has God ever asked you to do something that made no sense at all? Because in the daytime, one, he fished all night long, he's tired, he just cleaned his nets, I really don't want to undo the nets. I just clean them. I, I really don't want to. How many ladies in here understand what that's like? You just cleaned the house. And now he wants to invite 20 people over. All right? And, and, and you just. And, and now the rabbi wants you to do it during the day. I'm tired. I just finished cleaning the nets. And now you want me to do something I know that doesn't work. You want me to go out and fish when all the fish are deep. They're not at the surface. This makes no logical sense rabbi all right and he says we worked hard all night and what did he say they did it their way in the logic of their way are you following this they were the fishermen they did it in their way the way they thought it should be done and they didn't get any fish Do you know God created you to be fisher of men? Are you, are you getting this? They did it their way, the way that logically made sense to them, and they caught nothing. And Jesus said, why don't you try it my, my way? Right? And they caught But because you say so, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. We'll go back out. Next slide. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus. Well, I think we missed a verse there. Uh, <laughs> there it is. And when they had done so, they caught so, such a large number of fish. What? Can I, can I tell you something? And, and this is the lie of the enemy. The devil has convinced many in this room that you cannot win the lost, so you don't. And you don't believe it's good news. And I'm here to tell you, this Christmas season, it's incredible news. And you were called to put out your nets so you could bring in a great load of fish. And, and I think, you know what I think is funny? Is they done so that the fish, that their nets begin to break. And, and literally, as I read this, I've done this for a while. I, I often read it like a movie moving in my head, like I envision it. And, and I went to Israel so I can envision the places where this was at. I mean, literally, like pictures. I can see them in my head. And, and I can see Jesus in this boat. And as they're pulling in the nets, him looking at Peter laughing. I, can, I think Jesus was right there next to Peter. And they were, they were chuckling like friends. and he's pulling and imagine what Peter there goes another one and they're pulling it in and the net's going to tear out of them. we're going to sink you know you can news, <laughs> you know Jesus good thing you're Jesus you walk on water well you didn't know that yet but and can you just see Jesus having fun with Peter as they're pulling in the fish I wish I could walk off in this room right now and just walk out here and I can't because i got to do this video but I want you to hear this Jesus loves to have fun with you when you're pulling in the fish. I think they're sitting there, and Peter is pulling it in, and he cannot believe that they're pulling in this. That they got called the help. The nets are tearing, and Jesus got me laughing. He says, "You have not yet seen what I have for you." And he's just pulling it in. And he's just laughing at Peter as he's seeing all this fish. Like, like he had never. He says, "He's like Peter. You, you have no idea." See, God, the creator of the universe, became man so that he could physically enjoy you and you could enjoy him. We completely separate the humanity of Christ. That he became a human being and he interacted, that's great news. That's incredible news because he loved you and he has fun. I think we think if God would come in the room, we'd all be like, I got to act my best behavior. We have been trained that I better act my best behavior. Better act like we act differently around. We would act differently around Jesus than we would everyone else. How do I know that? Because I go to a golf course and as soon as I find out that I'm a pastor, there ain't no F words anymore. And I'm just a pastor. Are you thinking about this right now? Because I I really think the Holy Spirit has to preach some of this message right now. Because you've heard these things over and over again. It's good news. Jesus loves to have fun. He wants you preaching the good news he goes on look what he says so when simon peter saw this he fell at jesus knees and he said go away from me lord i'm a sinful man i was okay before i knew god was there but now that you're here everything in my closets is exposed everybody thought i was a good person i had a good reputation everybody thought good of me i even loved what john was preaching and thought what john was saying was good and all. but now you're here and what the light does is the light exposes everything in the dark. And then you realize, once everything is exposed, you experience life, right. because there's nothing in the dark tormenting you. Yeah. That's right. It's good news. It and he says, "Go away from me, Jesus." And Jesus comes home him, look what he says. Sin always causes us to push God away. It never causes God to step away from us. Sin always causes us to put our hand up to God. And, and if you don't believe me, when you've done something towards your spouse, it causes you to push them away. Or anyone else. You push away people that you've either offended or done something against. You push them away. Look at, look at this. I need you to go away so that I can feel okay about myself. And what does Jesus do? Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. You know why he says don't be afraid? Simon, you have no idea the worst sin of your life you've yet to commit, and I'm still here. And you're gonna do it after you've seen everything that I've done you're going to see me walk on water. In fact, you're going to walk on water. You're going to see me do the miracles. In fact, you're going to do miracles. You're going to cast out demons. And after all of that, the greatest sin you'll ever commit is yet to be committed. And I'm here with you because I love you. That's good news. That's not just good news. That's incredible news. It goes up in Luke 5.11, it says, So they pulled their boats on the shore and left everything. They left everything and followed him. Why did they follow him? Because it was that good of news. Now, let me ask you. I think a lot of us have either grown up in the church, so it's what we know. But we haven't left everything to follow him. We haven't left everything behind and made the sacrifices to follow. They left everything because it was such incredible news. They were able to sacri- willing to sacrifice everything in this life to fulfill what God was calling them to. Amen. I want to read you a story. Uh, many of you know uh, Ruth Graham, uh, Billy Graham's daughter. And she spoke this at her funeral. And I heard this on the radio. And I thought, such an incredible story. And then I'm going to finish it with a verse, Okay. And then we're going to close, so the worship team can come up here. But if you would, while they're coming, and Pastor Olivier is coming, I I, I want you to close your eyes, because I want you to really focus on what I'm saying, because I'm going to read this from uh, what she wrote. I have learned in weeks since my father's death that everybody has a Billy Graham story, but I have my own Billy Graham story. Some of you may have heard it many times but it bears repeating because it speaks to the essence of who my father was and is. After 21 years, my marriage ended in a divorce. I was devastated, I floundered. My husband had betrayed me at the deepest level and I understood that I had biblical grounds for a divorce, but I did not want to be divorced. I did not want to hurt or displease God in any way. My family thought it would be a good idea for me to move away from Shenandoah Valley to get a fresh start somewhere else. So I decided to live in Florida near my older sister Gigi and my family and near a good church. The pastor of the church introduced me to a handsome widower and we began to date fast and furiously. My children didn't like him, but I thought they're almost grown and they can't tell me what to do. I knew what was best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle, my father called me from Tokyo. They said, honey, why don't you slow down? Let us get to know this man. They had never been a single parent. They had never been divorced. What did they know? So being stubborn and willful and sinful, I married this man on New Year's Eve and within 24 hours I knew I had made a terrible mistake. After five weeks I fled, I was afraid of him. What was I going to do? I wanted to go talk to my mother and my father. On my way to Montreat, I stopped and picked up my daughter, Windsor, from boarding school. I felt wrecked. I was coming home with my life in pieces. Shame weighed weighed me down. I dreaded having to meet my parents' gaze. I didn't think I could handle what their eyes might communicate. I wanted to run and hide, but I could not. I had nowhere else to go. I could not undo my mistake. I knew I had to face it i felt unworthy to go home but i needed my parents i look back now overwhelmed by god's tenderness and timing for it was this my darkest hour that god stepped in with one of the most powerful metaphors of my life my father was not god but he showed me what god was like that day i'm so grateful god accepts me as i am hurting Wounded, broken. It was a two-day drive to Montreat. Questions whirled in my mind. What was I going to say to daddy? What was I going to say to mother? What was I going to say to my children? I had been such a failure. What were they going to say to me? We were tired of fooling with him. We, we told you not to do it. You embarrassed us. Many of you know that we live in the side of a mountain. And as I wound myself up the mountain, I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway. And my father was standing there waiting for me my father who had every reason to rebuke wrapped his strong arms around me pulled me into a warm embrace and greeted me with these simple words welcome home there was no shame there was no blame there was no condemnation just unconditional love my father's embrace at that moment was one of the most profound gestures Of acceptance I had ever received to be utterly broken and still accepted to feel ugly and yet be loved to feel like an outcast and still be welcomed I marveled at the contrast between my heart full of shame and regret and my father's soul full of love I must have felt many things at once in his arm shock relief gratitude safety disbelief one thing I I most definitely felt was shattered and through his embrace my father let me know I had permission to feel that way he was not condemning me no defense or explanation was required my father was not god but he showed me what god was like that day his act of grace changed my life informed who i was i am so grateful god accepts me as i am hurting wounded broken i am glad he chooses me to be part of his family regardless of my mistakes and sins he wants me he cares about me his arms are open to me at all times even when I'm in ruins God's standing watching the road eager for me to come home God doesn't stop at ruin it's where he begins and brokenness is a qualification for service to him God does not hold His hand a list of my in his uh, in his hand a list of my failures he's not waiting to judge me he's not waiting to be uh, uh, be with me he's waiting to embrace me and welcome me home now I want you to do this You have an assignment. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 11, in the message. I want you to read it. Here's the reality. You may have been taught that the gospel was a religion, and you didn't think it was a religion because you were told that way of thinking was relationship. But if you applied that way of thinking with any relationship in your life today today, you would say that that is a very dysfunctional relationship we need to stop and we need to approach god in the way we'd approach anyone else in relationship that's not dysfunctional and understand he's my dad and you may have had a dad that was a tyrant an absent dad you may have a dad that that was there but absent you may have a horrible experience as a father well I'm going to tell you God wants to correct that right now because he is a father who loves you and cares about you and it's good news it's good news you were a sinner but that's not who you are anymore and we're going to a world that was living they live with the condemnation of that and the gospel message says Jesus came to earth as a baby he died on a cross he was resurrected and you no longer have to pay for your sins he did it and you no longer have to suffer through sickness and disease he healed it and you no longer have to live a boring life you can have an adventure and you don't have to worry about death any longer you don't have to fear the pandemic. You don't have to fear death because he conquered death. Now that's good news. Amen. That's what causes people to lean in, not lean away. Amen. Will you stand? I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Maybe you've come to a place where you invited religion to come into your life. You invited the religion about Christ to come in your life, but you never said to Christ, I'm inviting you Not all the rules, not all the obligations, not all the stuff that comes along with this thing we call Christ. I'm inviting you and you alone, Jesus, you and your kingdom to come live in my life right now. And I want that, the purity of that to come and live me because I don't want to be the same boring person sitting in church, never telling anybody because I don't believe it's necessarily great news. It just keeps me out of hell. You really think that's why he came? Just to keep you out of hell. You know what God wants more than anything that he doesn't have? The one thing God has wants that he does not have, is your heart. And he can't take your heart. Only you can give it. Only you can. He can't make you love him. All he could do is try to entice you to know who he is And your heart is designed to love him. So, Father, right now I pray in this room, in Jesus' name, that you would open our hearts to see, our eyes to see, and our ears to hear, that we might perceive and our hearts would be healed to love you, Lord God, as you designed our heart to love you this morning.